Good morning once again. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 24. This is our City on a Hill teaching series. Title of this weekend's message is Treasure. Hey, another quick announcement. Um, little family business here. We are uh, in transition once again. And uh, how many remember when my son came to Desert Breeze to lead worship for us? Show of hands. Yeah, did a great job. We, uh, he did that for a couple of years, and then he took over our uh, youth ministry. He's been there for a couple of years, and now God has, uh, has told for him to move on. And so he'll be moving on to Prescott. He was invited to be a worship leader there for the, uh, the worship leader for Prescott uh, Christian Church there in Prescott, Arizona. And so we will miss him. This is his last Sunday here. Um, and, uh, his mom will be moving in with them. <laughs> if you guys know, he's got, uh, he's married to Aaron, beautiful bride, and he's got four sons. And so we will be taking trips regularly to Prescott, but, uh, we're going to miss him. He did a fantastic job here. God has indeed called him. We would agree. Let's give him a hand. Yeah. Praise God. That's cool. So. He's over there right now telling uh, probably 40, 50 junior high kids over there about uh, the change. And nothing will change here. I mean, he's done a great job, but he's got a great team. And so the interim, we're going to keep rocking and rolling with our kids. We're excited about our youth program here. We've been in the process over the last month kind of looking at different candidates. We've got a few in mind. And so nothing changes. We're going to keep going. How many have ever been, in, been over to our youth room and checked it out and looked to see what we've got going on over there? It's, just a, it's a wonderful room, a lot of great things happening there. So we're excited about that. Uh, I'll probably miss him worse than anybody, okay? And uh, so I'm excited for him, really am, and uh, God has blessed him, and who knows, maybe in the future God will bring him back, but in the meantime, he's going to bless that church, really a great church there in Prescott. And um, so I'm going to buy a piece of property there in Prescott and, and build a home so that his mom can be there regularly. <laughs> so I'm kidding. But uh, good to have you with us. We've got really important stuff here to talk about here this morning. Let me start off by, by saying this about what we're going to deal with as we talk about treasure what an amazing, what an amazing treasure trove we have in Christ. It's just, it's, it's out of this world. It is absolutely out of this world what we have through Jesus Christ. Um, we have the opportunity, uh, by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to live a life that, that most people only dream about. And... Uh, Jesus is the treasure worth giving up everything for. And, and in fact, I mean, I could, if we spent just a time of looking at the implications of what I just said, uh, we could spend the rest of our lives all the way into eternity talking about the treasure that we have in him and through him. And in fact, you have, whether you realize this or not, you have the wealth of his, of his presence 24-7. You have the comfort of his love, regardless of what's going down in your life. The comfort of his love, never to leave you or forsake you. You have the strength of his power. You have the security and the significance of being called his child. And that's just a short list 
of what we have in him. And if you think that I'm kind of speaking with hyperbole, hyperbole, you, don't, you either don't know Jesus or you're not walking in vital union with him. And my prayer for you this morning and every time we get together is that you would see him more clearly and savor him more completely down deep into your heart because he will revolutionize your life. You will never, ever, ever be the same. Now, let me bring you up to speed about this teaching series. You're probably saying, well, what does that have to do with teaching? It has everything to do with this teaching series. It has everything to do with what we're talking about here this morning. Here's kind of the thesis statement of this series as we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, greatest sermon ever preached by the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples. And in essence, this is what he's saying. People who have encountered him, Christ, or are living in vital union with Christ because he's speaking to disciples will be different. You will be different as a result of that. And that's what he's spelling out to us here And in fact, Matthew 5, 16 is the theme verse. And he says, let your light shine before men. Why would you have light? Because you're radiating all of the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. And so he says, as you live in the reality of the treasure trove that I have for you, let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. They're going to say, wow, you got to be kidding after what you've been through, and yet I see something about you that I want. What is it? And you'll be able to point him to the Father. So that's the essence of this, of this series. And so today we talk about it. So if he changes our lives, every area of our lives, that would also include in the area of our finances or our money. So we're going to talk about money this morning. And in fact, the number one rival treasure is money. The number one rival God is money. And in fact, let me give you a little bit of a thesis statement of where we're headed So you kind of understand, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll dive into our text and unpack these notes. But money will control you to the degree that it is your significance or your security. It will control you to the degree that it's your significance, so you'll tend to spend money. You'll be a spender on things that will help you to feel bigger, better about yourself, or you'll tend to save money. It becomes your security, so you sock it away. In, in your savings account or however you might do that through investments. And it will control you to that degree. Um, th- this, this treasure trove that we have in Jesus revolutionizes our life in every area and, and even in this area of finances. The more you realize that Christ gives you a significance and security that money can't buy or build, the more that money becomes just money, a tool for meeting needs and doing good. So the way that it loses its hold on us is to find that we don't look to money for our significance and security, but we look to Christ. And by the way, I I need to also say this, just so that you understand, because I don't know that we really understand this and live in the reality of it. The treasure trove in Christ doesn't come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to having received this treasure trove offered, offered as a free gift. Do you understand that? See, to reverse that is called religion. It's a works righteousness. You don't change your life, and then he pours his blessing upon your life. Oh, my goodness, he has already blessed you. You have everything you need through Jesus Christ. And then that's what changes your life. So here, here's, so if you want to experience significant change to your life, 
be captivated by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. Fix your eyes on him. And the more you do that, and the more you understand what he's provided for you, and you live in the reality, that's what transforms your life. So if you find yourself stingy with your money, it's probably because money is, is more than just money. It's your significance or it's your security. But it's when you begin to see his beauty and the glory, that's when it transforms your heart. You see, there's a major difference between a moral restrained will versus a supernaturally transformed heart. You guys know what I'm saying? A moral restrained will is outside in transformation where I would use a lot of fear and pride to get you to change. But the gospel doesn't do that. The gospel is is about a uh, supernaturally transformed heart. It's a heart that is smitten by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And then naturally you release your... You know, it releases its grip on you, whatever it might be. It might not be money for you. It might be any number of things. But certainly money will, will give you a little bit of an indication of what you treasure in your life. And that's where we're headed. So, so on your notes, we're going to look at money can blind us to greed. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about money can reveal what we treasure most. And then how to break the power of money. I pretty much told you that. But we'll go back to that at the end. And we'll kind of work through that. Make sure we're working it deep within our heart. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. And then we will uh, dive into our text here this morning. Father in heaven, may we see more clearly and savor more deeply that everything, that everything is worthless compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's having received this treasure trove, this, this store of infinite and eternal privileges and pleasures as a free gift through the sacrificial love of Christ that transforms our lives. And that transformation includes our use of money. So we pray this morning, convict us of sin, cleanse us by your grace, and captivate us by your love for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. This is really a great text. In fact, there's a particular verse in here that has brought tremendous transformation to my life. It wasn't until I began to understand the implications of these, these verses, and one verse in particular really transformed my life. So let me work through this. I'm going to talk. I'll give you a little commentary as we work through it. And so, verse 19, chapter 6, Matthew, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Stop there for a minute. Look up here. This is what you got to understand. He's not telling you that you won't lay up treasures. You will lay up treasures. He's saying all of us lay up treasures. You will lay up treasures either in heaven or on earth. Every day you are laying up treasures. So that's pretty clear by the text. You're laying up treasures even by being here. Are you laying up treasures on earth or in heaven? You can actually come to church and be laying up treasures on earth. Because you use church as a way of making connections for your your job or whatever it might be. Or to appease somebody that wants wants you here or any number of reasons. Or, hey, my my, my week might go better if I go to church and it seems to go better so it's still all about you. So, So you're laying up treasures. Where are you laying them up? That's what he says. He says, don't lay up treasures on earth, lay up treasures in heaven. And then here's the key verse that was pretty significant in my life, still is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Stop there just for a minute. Now let's talk about that. So this is what he's saying. So the word heart is used some 900 times in the Bible. Heart speaks of our mind, our emotion, and our will. But it actually speaks of something much deeper. Speaking of what we treasure, the the idea of treasure means your heart rests in something. Everybody here, you might not even be a believer in Jesus, but your heart still rests in something. You trust in something. You believe 
in something, some set of beliefs. You can't get away from that. That's just part of our existence. We've been created in the image of God. And you have to, you have to put your hope in something. And that's just, you, you can't exist without it. And so, so he's saying, in essence, he's saying, uh, your treasure, your treasure, what you treasure, what your heart rests in, what you trust in, where, where you build your self-esteem, your identity, your treasure controls your heart, and whatever controls your heart controls your life, controls your behavior. We do what we do because of something that's much deeper. It's a, it's a treasure. So what's interesting about this is that you can actually say, I believe in Jesus and actually treasure anything and everything other than Jesus. And it, it will wreak havoc in your life eventually because you're building, you're laying up treasure on earth rather than in heaven. And so that's what he, what he means by that. And then he goes, verse 22, this is really an interesting text and next because it almost seems like, what is this about? He plops it right in there as it relates to, to treasure or money. And he says, the eye is the lamp of the body So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If if then the light in in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Okay, so we've got to talk about that just for a moment. Um, And I've taught this for for years, and it's been really helpful for me. It's, It's not what happens to you. And I know that some of you are going through really, really, really difficult times and have gone through difficult times. My heart breaks for you. But it's not those difficult times. It's not the, listen, it's not the events of life that makes you feel and behave the way you feel and behave. It's your evaluation of those events that determine how you feel and behave. And so that's why he says, the eye, he's saying perspective. What's your perspective? Is the lamp of the body of your whole life. Do you have a clear perspective? How do you view life? Are you adding God into the equation of the, of the bad stuff that happened to you? If not, your whole being is dark. You're going to have darkness. That's what he's saying. So he's saying, hey, you better be thinking clearly. You better be adding God to the equation of the the junk that happens in your life. If not, you're going to be one bitter person. You're going to be one angry person. Because you've built, you've laid up, you've laid up treasure on earth. And it's it's rusted. It's gone away. It's fallen apart. It's it's temporal. Of course it's going to do those things. But if, but... In the midst of life and on earth, if you add into the equation that God is for me and not against me, and that he can take the bad and work it for my good, I don't know how he can do that, but the Bible says that, and he, he died to, to, to prove that. And that not only that, the truly best things in my life can never be taken from me, and that's my relationship with him. And, and, yet, and the best is yet to come if I continue to keep my eyes on him and follow him. Yes, yes. And, and so when you add that into the equation of all the difficulties that you face, it's going to make a difference. There's going to be light. That's what he's saying here. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. But if, you're, but if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. You know... Life is, excuse the way I put this, life is crappy for you. It's because your perspective. You don't understand what that God is for you. Oh my goodness, if you could just understand that, he's for you. He's for you and not against you. 
Yeah, but I haven't really, it doesn't matter about your performance. It's based on the performance of Jesus. I already said that. It's his, his treasure trove doesn't come to us because we, we have changed our life. We change as a result of what our treasure trove is all about, who Christ is. We got to constantly be reminded of that. And so, okay. Ooh, I started getting off on that one a little bit. Huh? Getting pretty excited. I mean, this stuff is speaking to me so loud and clear this morning. Uh, it's in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. By the way, you, everyone lives for something. And whether you want to call it this or not, whatever you live for is the Lord of your life. And, and like I said, you might not even be a believer in Jesus. But I'll tell you what, you have a Lord you have a master. He's not saying, uh, you know, you got three choices. You'll live for this master or that master, or you won't have a master. No, he's not saying that. He's saying you can't live for two masters. You're not going to have two, two lords uh, for your life. So no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Number one, rival God. And he gives us a little bit of idea of what treasure, what it means to treasure. Treasure means to fill your mind with the beauty and the value of something. So he's kind of showing us that for either he will hate the one and love the other. So it means it's what you love most and then devoted. You're devoted to that more than anything. So it's kind of given us an idea. So this is God's word to us this morning. Let's work through the notes here. And so let's start off. First of all, money can blind us to greed. And it, I find it interesting, verses 22 through 23, it's right in the middle of the text talking about money. If your eye is bad, means blind, your perspective is off, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If your eye is good, and it can also be translated if it, if it is generous. If you understand all that Christ is for you, it's only going to be natural that you're going to live a radically generous life. You're going to live a different life. And it's going to be good. Just like, man, you just want everybody to be blessed. You've been overwhelmingly blessed, and so you just want to bless others with all that God has done in your life. So he's talking about greed. Greed is a selfish use of money. And, and what's interesting about our culture is that nobody ever thinks that it's true of them, uh, that they're greedy. Uh, most people don't think that they're really wealthy. Most of us in here, if I were to say, hey, are you wealthy? Oh, are you kidding? I'm not even close. And it's probably because not that you compare yourself to others that have less than you. We typically always compare ourselves with people that have more than us. Yeah, I've got this, but you should see what they have. And so it always makes us feel like, hey, I'm pretty, you know, I'm, I'm pretty low-key about my finances. I'm not, I'm not greedy at all. And yet... In Luke 12, 15, he says something here really interesting that I think that it creeps up on us, this idea of being greedy. Money can blind us to greed. He says, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. Jesus is warning them and he's saying, hey, listen, listen. Be aware of this. Greed can sneak up on you. You can be guilty of all kinds of greed. It can sneak up on you before you even realize it. And... Uh, the Bible never says, uh, says that as it relates to a lot of the other sins. Beware of adultery. It can sneak up on you. You all of a sudden wake up and you say, hey, that's, you're not my spouse. What's this all about? You're not going to do that. You know when you're, when you're committing that sin. But he's saying you don't really know a lot of times because we, we rationalize, we justify, we, we blame shift. And we don't know when that's happening in our life. So let me give you some characteristics possibly that could be in your life to, to reveal to you that there might be some greed working. Money may be blinding you to greed if, if these things are true. 
If you don't give faithfully, save systematically, and spend strategically. So those would be three, you know, kind of benchmarks as you kind of look through that. So if you don't give faithfully, and there's verses, you can look these up on your own, go through the growing notes, get involved in one of our small groups that that go through the growing notes. Give faithfully, save systematically, and spend strategically. It's something that we've taught here for years. It's called the 10-10-80 rule. When you get paid, you take... uh, Take your first 10% and you give it to God. The second 10% you give it to yourself. You, you put it in your bank account. And then you, you learn to live on the 80%. Just a smart way to live. You live on the 80%. And what you even do in that, my wife and I did that a number of years ago, is that, uh, and we practice this, is that because the Bible not only teaches tithing, but it also teaches offerings and alms. Offerings means over and above your 10%. And so that's just like giving to missions. And so we're able to do that. But also alms would be that somebody that's poor in your small group, that's struggling, maybe they're between jobs, and you can give to them. And that's the idea. What are you going to use to give to them with? That 10% that you're saving and you're socking away. And by the way, that 10%, you actually need, I didn't say this to the first service, but uh, I just thought about it. You need to have about six months, three to six months worth of expenses saved back. So that if you ever lose your job, You've got two or three months that you're not going to be too concerned, not too, so pressured. So when we talk about generosity, we're talking about also taking care of your own needs. We're not talking about emptying your bank account on all the needs around you. That would be unwise. But it's really talking about being, being wise with your finances, giving faithfully, saving systematically, and spending strategically. And that means also kind of driving your stake. At some point in your life, you say, as my wife and I did, with our second home, and it was a little bigger so that we could... Uh, meet the needs of our family, we drove our stake. And what that means is that we're not going to go beyond this. It was a 15-year mortgage, and then we paid that off in about 12 years. And, um, and so that was, we drove our stake. And so that means that when, once we got that paid off, it gave us greater resources for ministry. Just, it's just a wise way to do it. Let me give you a couple thoughts here as it relates to each one of these, and then we'll pick up the pace after this, because this needs to be uh, thought about a little bit. So don't, uh, if you don't give faithfully, throughout the Bible, 10% is the rule of thumb to give. In fact, in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus commended it. If that sounds outrageous to you, then Christ is, Christ is not real to your heart. Okay, Christ is not real to your heart, and you may believe in him, but he's not your treasure. Because when he becomes your treasure, 10% just like, pfft, it's no big deal. And I hate to be so frank, but, uh, but the text commands it when you really look at this text. You guys tracking with me? You guys understand what I'm talking about here? So that's what he's saying here. And so that's part of this uh, giving faithfully. What about saving strategically? Most of us aren't victims of unforeseeable circumstances, but willing participants in a lack of foresight about future inevitables. Did that make any sense whatsoever? Here's what that means. Is that how many know that eventually their car is going to probably break down? Show of hands. And you're going to need to buy tires. You need to change the oil. You might need to eventually get a new car. Any number of things. Guess what? If you're living to the edge, you're spending everything that's coming in. You're not going to have any money for that car, for the maintenance of that car. How many know that you're going to eventually need maybe a new air conditioning unit on your house? Or maybe a new roof on the house. Yeah, that's, that's just a matter of time. So, so let, me, let me just say that again. Most of us aren't victims of unforeseeable circumstances, but willing participants in a lack of foresight about future inevitables. 
You better have some money socked away in the bank. Because there's some, going to be some bad things that are going to happen to you financially. And you're going to have some resources to draw up on. Okay. That just makes sense. That's wisdom. Here's the last one as it relates to spending strategically. And that just, has, that just means having a budget. It's just kind of telling where your money, where you want it to go. Rather than finding out later, where'd my money go? I don't know where it is. And then you also need to keep good records so that you can always go back and say, hey, this is what we spent our money on. And then you need to divide it up based on, based on God's will for your life because your needs are not what is necessary to sustain life. Your needs are what is necessary to do the will of God for your life. So, that, so what's interesting about that is that part of God's will for our lives, uh, Nancy and I, is that when I quit the fire department, I obviously had to take a substantial uh, cut in pay, but I had to also believe that God was going to meet our needs, in which he has uh, wonderfully in that. But part of our planning was based on, hey, this is, if this is indeed God is leading us in this way, we're going we're gonna to strategically use our finances. That's why you can't compare yourself with others. You know, you, you may be called to go around the world with mission work, and the most strategic thing for you would be to buy a Learjet. And that would actually be wise based on God's will for your life. And for me to criticize that, oh, I can't believe it, they own a Learjet. Oh, that's unbelievable. Well, that could be based on your finances, based on what God's called you to do, based on God's will for your life. So be careful about not, you know, not criticizing where people might be and what, how they're dispensing their funds. It's all individual based on God's will for their life. Okay, enough said. So the first one, money may be blinding you to greed if you don't give faithfully, save strategically, and spend uh, I'm saying save systematically and spend strategically. Here's the next one. Believe that debt is a lifelong friend rather than a short-term visitor. So here's what I mean. The goal is debt-free. The goal is debt-free. So my wife and I, we paid for our home, and we have paid in cash for our last three vehicles. Now, I'll admit, they're mopeds. But we paid cash for those things, praise God. I mean, we don't buy expensive cars. We, have, we buy Scions, and they're the most, kind of the cheapest car going out there. Sorry if you have a Scion. That's just the reality of it. They're really inexpensive cars. They're fun cars. They're, they're cool cars if I'm driving it. And if she's driving it, it's a cute car, okay? Just always remember that. And, uh, but, but you're able to do that because you're working towards getting out of debt. And that's where you want to be. Let me tell you something. When you get to that place of being debt-free, oh my goodness, the blessing that you can bring to people and what you can use those resources for. And so, and, uh, and by the way, I talked more about this. I can't give you all the details, but I talked more about this in a year ago. I did a faith and finances series, four weeks. And you can uh, download the app or go on our website. And it's under money foolishness is what I talked about. And I go into more specifics of what that looks like. Okay, here's the next one. Believe that money can be your happiness or buy your happiness. Money may be blinding you to greed if you believe that money can be your happiness or buy your happiness. Now, let me give you the rest of the verse in Luke uh, 12, 15. So the rest of the verse, so the first part of the verse, it goes like this. Beware, be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. I stopped there, but let's continue on. Because he goes on, he says, because real life and real living does not consist in the abundance of what a person possesses. All the stuff in the world isn't going to make you any happier in the long run. That's what he's saying. So real life and real living cannot be found in stuff. I don't know how many people I talked with over the last decade, just sat down and counseled them and talked with them and encouraged them. 
But they didn't realize that money was more than money when this economy went downward. You know, people that lost homes, cars, jobs, and they were devastated because they were laying up treasure on earth. And then they realized, wait a minute, I lost myself because myself was wrapped up in what I was driving, what I was wearing, where I worked. And, and that's, that's the point. And, uh, and then it's in those times, you know, we begin to reestablish our identity in Christ. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity into man's heart. In other words, an eternal craving can never be satisfied by temporal things. All the money in the world cannot give you the quantity or the quality of life that only Jesus Christ can give you. Only he can give you fullness of life. All the money in the world can't do that. No matter what you're thinking. That's what he means there in Luke 12, 15. Here's the next one. You confuse could with should when making financial decisions. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, Be very careful then in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Could is about possible and should is about priority. It's not can you buy it, but should you buy it. Does that make sense? It's not can you, but should you. Um, And you don't want to live to the edge of your finances. That's just the bottom line. Here's the next one. You don't know why you are spending. Why are you you purchasing that? Is it image, pleasure, investment, uh, perceived necessity? A necessity, emotional spending, it would be uh, anxiety, you're bored, discontentment, depression, revenge. Actually, there's revenge spending. Have you guys ever heard of that? Well, she, yeah, my wife bought this. Yeah. You guys know what that's all about, don't you? My wife got to spend this on her. I'm going to now spend this on me. That's not very smart, okay? I mean, I mean, it's almost kind of like, well, if she can do that, then I can do that. And it's kind of like, ah, oh, why are you doing that? And, uh, and so that's part of that. Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Are you buying an item or an image? And uh, four trucks. They're built tough. I mean, you'd never see them advertise four trucks for sissies. Yeah, sign me up. I want one of those Ford trucks. I have a Ford truck. And I'm Chevy. Somebody cough over there? Chevy. Chevy. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times when we're buying vehicles, uh, a lot of times it's, a, it's more about image or how much chrome we get on it or any number of things. Or is it a want or a need? That's a good question. Is this a want or a need? All I need All I need is food, water, clothing, shelter, cable TV, (laughs) NFL season package. Can't live without that, baby. You know, so, I mean, it's it's really amazing. When I've sat down with people and they're trying to get control of their finances, they will will have the latest, latest iPhone. You know, and each year, new iPhone, got to have it, got to have it. You don't have to have it. You don't have to have that. I mean, I still have one of those dial units. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't have that. I do have kind of a little bit of an older phone, but uh, it's one of those big box phones like that. 
No, I don't have that either, but I do have more of a smartphone, which they can be pretty handy. But man, those things, after a while, you should just start dumping money in that. And then you got your computer at home and you got this, you got that, you got any number of things that we could all live without and probably do quite well. So we just got to be smarter in that. Here's the last one, is that you get into careers that you don't like, but it makes you good money. And you fail to ask if what you're doing is good for human flourishing. Well, it makes a good living, and it's legal. Okay, you probably ought to go just a tad deeper than that one. Okay? Um, Is it appealing to their better nature or to their worse nature in what you're doing? Is it good for the social fabric, the neighborhood, or the environment? Those would be good questions also to ask. And this is just a short list, so so money can blind us to greed. And and if any of those are true about you, uh, you may be being blinded by greed. And so let's go to the next point in our notes. Money can reveal what you treasure most. And so in verse 21, very significant verse, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And then verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. So here's your fill in the blank. You spend money effortlessly and joyfully on what you treasure. You spend money uh, effortlessly, that's, that's a key, effortlessly and joyfully on what you treasure. Let's just say your kids are really into football. And you don't like football. I mean, you get a concussion just watching the game, okay? You just don't like football whatsoever. And I don't know anybody that wouldn't like football because I like football. But, uh, but I mean, this is an illustration. And so you promise to take your kids to a Cardinals game. They want to go to a Cardinals game, and you want to take them to a Cardinals game because you're a good dad or mom. And so you go online, and those ticket prices are what? I mean, they're like a stab in the heart. I can't believe people pay this much money to go to a Cardinals game, you know? And so, so you go ahead and you fork out the money and you're thinking, man, maybe I could take them to a high school game or a Pop Warner game. I wonder if they'd be okay with that. I mean, that's what's going through your mind. And then you go to a game and then you say, hey, kids, you want a soda or a hot dog? And you go stand in line for about an hour and you realize, what? It's another stab to the heart. $50 for a hot dog and $100 for a soda? Do we get free refills with this? No, you got to buy another $100 soda. I mean, you're just like, oh my goodness. And then you pick a wrong weekend. You pick when the Cardinals are playing. No, the Raiders. Yeah. And you get a get into a fight with some Raider fans and you kick their butts because you're a Cardinal fan and though they may look mean, they're not really mean at all because you can take on all the Raider fans you want. I said that because there are some Raider fans in the first service. Any Raider fans in this service? Oh my goodness. They're all sitting over here on this side. We're going to all exit this way, okay? We're going to exit right out that door. Oh my goodness, that's scary. But, but hey, you take your kids, they have a good time, stab in the heart. But let me tell you this. If Cardinals are your team, you'll buy season tickets. No big deal. In fact, if the ticket prices go up, pass the hot dogs. Woo! Praise God, it doesn't matter. Because money will flow to that which you most love effortlessly. 
And if you really think about your life, there's probably things in your life where money just flows. It just goes. Now, you guys, I've, I've shared this with you. I've confessed. What is mine? Anybody know? Starbucks. No, I'm too cheap for that. Starbucks. I stand outside of Starbucks. We'll work for Starbucks, okay? <laughs> Waiting for someone to buy me that $10 drink. But uh, no, actually, what is it? Anybody know? Books. Yeah, books. Books for years. In fact, if you go into my, my office, I've got this big old gigantic. In fact, books take up three quarters of our house. Just books, books, books. No, I'm, not, I'm kidding. In my office, it's, it's a lot of books. And that was what my mine was. What was my wife's? Yeah, initially it was. When she came home with six new pair of shoes one time when we were first married, I had a heart attack. It's like, what? Six pairs of shoes? I need all of these. No, you don't. Just buy one pair that matches everything. How many guys are cool with that? One pair that matches everything? Because that's how we live our lives. Okay, maybe not. But my my wife, it was more, actually, what, what it was with my wife more than anything, and she got beyond that. And what I realized why it bothered me so much was because for her, it was more about significance, buying, and, and mine was more about saving. My security was wrapped up in how much money we had in the bank account. So we were both kind of wrong, and we both had to work through that. But here's another way, not just through spending that we can find out what our treasure is, but also through, this is what my, my wife used to get upset at from time to time, because every time I'd go, we'd go to a new restaurant somewhere, and I'd look around, and I'd go, oh my goodness, this would make a really great church. Sports bar, whoa. I like it. Let's do it. She goes, why don't you ever talk about what would make a nice home? Because hers went from shoes to home to where she could just spend money. Hey, let's buy these plants. Well, the last one's died. Don't buy any more, please. (laughs) Yeah, but we need more plants around here. No, we don't. You're costing us a fortune because of those stupid plants, you know, or whatever it is. And so that's how, you know, that's a little bit of the argument. But what's yours? What, What do you treasure? Where does money fly out of your pockets towards or maybe it doesn't maybe it's more about more about saving money maybe it's body image maybe it's love and romance maybe it's your home or car or maybe it's just saving without exception everyone seeks pleasure where you get your most pleasure is what you most treasure your pleasure is the measure of your treasure and uh the deepest and most lasting pleasure is found in God, not, not from God. And so, so you spend money effortlessly and joyfully on what you treasure. Here's the next one. This was a big, big thought here. Treasure earthly things and your life will be fragile, but treasure heavenly things and your life will be strong. So you, you got to get this one. You got to understand this. Uh, our troubled lives... We live troubled lives because we have laid up for ourselves treasures that are temporal. And so to the degree you treasure earthly things that moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal is to the degree your life will be fragile, is to the degree that your life will be driven, insecure, anxious, angry, depressed, troubled, discontent, because you built your life on temporal things. No wonder you're so ticked off. No one, your, your perspective, you have not added God into the equation of your life, regardless of what's gone down. 
You add God to the, into the equation of your life, and it brings light into your whole body, and it changes the way that you respond to life, and you navigate life, and you do life, and you radiate his glory, and people look at your life and say, hey, I want what they've got. As you let your light shine before men, and they see your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. Treasure anything more than Christ. And this, this was a statement that helped me out a number of years ago. Because, man, I, I had faith in Jesus. I'm getting up and telling you guys about Jesus week in and week out. And yet, deep in my heart, I was treasuring more of the finances of the church or the success of the church or what people said or didn't say about the church. See, you can say you have your faith in Jesus and still treasure everything but him. And so it creates all kinds of problems. But treasure anything more than Christ, and it will control you when you seek it, disappoint you when you get it, and devastate you when you lose it. Um, everyone lives for something. Everyone lives for something. And whether you want to call it this or not, it is the Lord of your life. In all other lords, when you seek them, are terribly unforgiving. I mean, if you're living to accomplish a certain thing in your life and you're living for that and you've got to have that and it's your sense of identity and your heart rests in that and you don't achieve that in your life, it will beat you up your whole life. Yeah, but by this time in my life, I should have been much further down the road. What are you living for? You're living for that, that accomplishment, that accolade, that achievement of whatever it might be. That's the Lord of your life. And by the way, not only... Those lords, other than Christ, are terribly unforgiving. But even if you were to get that, it's terribly unfulfilling. And Jesus is the only Lord who, when you fail him, forgives you. And when you get him, when you get him, oh my goodness, he fulfills you. And that's, that's the gospel and uh, so you've got to look at your heart. I mean, let me ask you this. What, what gets you excited? What do you get excited about? What do you talk about when you get around with your friends? What dominates your thoughts? What, what dominates your solitude? Well, I don't have much solitude. Well, that might be the problem. It's just because you're keeping yourself busy. You're just medicating. Because you don't want to even think about the things that you need to probably be thinking about. You're just medicating yourself. You're just running here and there and every which way. So what do you... What dominates your solitude? When your mind is free to think about what it's free to think about, where does it go? When you're laying in bed at night, where does it go? And it'll tell you a little bit about what, you, what is most important to you. But if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, he will dominate your solitude. You will want him more than anything. You just, just savor him and enjoy him. And, and what stirs your deepest emotion? You know, are the Cardinals on right now? Are they playing right now? Or are they later on this evening? Oh, they are? So somebody give me the score here. If you, some of you, I know some of you are actually listening to the score right now. You're not even paying attention to me. But man, you know what? I love Cardinals. I get excited, but I don't get near as excited about the Cardinals as I do Jesus. I mean, that, that, and so if you find yourself getting more excited about the Cardinals and then you come to church, it's like, oh, when is this going to be over? This guy's so long-winded. What kind of a church did you bring me to? It's like, that just tells you about your heart. I mean, I hear people all the time say, uh, I, I, I'm, we're going to go to church that only, the guy only preaches for 30 minutes. I can barely get through the intro in 30 minutes, okay? 
And that's cool if that's what you want to do. Not that you can't say enough in 30 minutes. You certainly can say enough that needs to be said, but that's just not how we're wired up. And, but it really, where's your heart? Why do you go to church? What is, what's going on in your life? What dominates your thoughts? What stirs your deepest emotion? And what moves you to action? When your feet hit the floor in the morning, why? Where are you going? What's your life about? If you're laying up treasures on earth, it's a matter of time. You're going to be really down and depressed. But if you keep it on Jesus, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, when you make it about him, living for him, loving him, serving him, enjoying him, that's that fullness of life that he invites us to. I love what uh, this uh, David Foster Wallace from his Kenyan College commencement speech said. Let me read this and then we're almost finished and we're going to take communion this morning. Listen to what he says here. Um, which, by the way, he actually committed suicide, and I'm not even sure that he was a Christian, but, but what he said was really profound and obviously had a tough time even applying this to his life. But this is what he said. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what, we, what to worship, and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. <clears throat> if you worship money and things... If they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when you take and when time and age start showing, um, you will die a million deaths before you finally, before you finally, before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is their unconscious, their default settings. We all worship it's what we do. It's who we are. How to break the power of money. A treasure can't be removed, only replaced. Uh, and you'll notice in Exodus 23, the first of the top 10, 10 commandments, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. He doesn't give a third option. You'll either serve the living God or another God. And so the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Thomas Chalmers said that. The only way to, to dispossess the heart of an old affection. See, I, and, and there's nothing wrong. I love I'm glad that you get excited at a Cardinals game or get excited at a beautiful sunset or get excited at any time. But let me just say that those are a dim glimpse of the excitement that we can find in Christ. And nothing wrong with any of those things. I get excited about my quadruple shot mocha in the morning, but I don't let it terminate here. It's an opportunity to worship God. I let it roll on up to God, the creator of all things. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And so you can certainly use it as a worship experience. The treasure can't be removed, only replaced. Make Christ the treasure of your life. Sin is treasuring or finding your, your deepest pleasure in anything more than Christ. Colossians 2, 3. In Christ are hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 3, 1 through 2, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, set your minds. Let this dominate your thoughts. Let this dominate your solitude. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 
First uh, Peter 2.6, it says, to you who believe Jesus is precious. It's interesting how they, that those two words are together. If you believe Jesus is precious. In other words, believe is more than agreement with facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart. Jesus becomes precious to you. He becomes your treasure. Belief means that you treasure Christ above all. There's an interesting story. How many are familiar with the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, show of hands. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a what? Sycamore tree. That's crazy. Why would he do that? Especially in an honor culture. Listen to me. Zacchaeus was desperate. He had heard about this Jesus, and he felt such an emptiness inside because he was a wealthy man. He was a uh, tax collector. He was a Jewish man, and he was a collaborator with the Roman rule that had dominated Jerusalem and the region. And the the Romans and the tax collectors lived lives of ease and comfort, but everybody else was subjected to the oppression of the Roman government. And so this guy was a major perpetrator and. And in so many ways, he was an extortionist. He would extort money out of people. So he was unbelievably wealthy and yet hated. And yet all the money in the world did not fill the empty void inside of him. And so he climbs up in the tree to see Jesus. And I can't help but laugh because Jesus walks over the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house today. Zacchaeus must have almost fallen out of the tree. <laughs> what? Me? Yes, you. And in the story, when you read it in Luke chapter 19, there's something that happens in Zacchaeus' life as a result of his encounter with Jesus. There's this transfer of, of Savior from money to Jesus. And Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half of all my money to the poor, and I will pay back four times what I've ripped people off. That's amazing. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, salvation has come to this home. What do you mean by that? It has, past tense. It wasn't that because of what Zacchaeus did that he got the treasure trove of Jesus. It was the treasure trove of Jesus that transformed Zacchaeus' life. See, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more you begin to see who Jesus is, it will revolutionize your life. And so here's the last point. Christ becomes the treasure of your life when you see that you are his The more you understand the indispensable and costly death of Christ making you his treasure, the more he becomes yours. And the more he becomes your treasure, the less money is your significance and security. And the more it becomes just money, a tool for meeting needs and doing good. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this message here this morning. Thank you for stirring our hearts and moving. And God, as we take communion now, help us to see. Help us to understand the indispensable indispensable and costly death of our Savior to give us the greatest treasure of all, and that's a relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As they pass the trays here, uh, if you're not a believer, just let them fly by. Uh, You can watch us, but you can become a believer this morning if you will acknowledge your sin that separates you from God, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and confess him as Lord. If you're saying in your heart, hey, I want... I want Jesus to be the treasure of my life. I want him to be the Lord of my life. If you say that in your heart between you and God, then feel free to take communion. Hang on to the communion elements and I will walk us through the process here this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says that, 
It wasn't with perishable things that we were redeemed from our empty way of life passed on to us from our forefathers, but it was with the precious blood of Jesus. Precious, treasured, treasured blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. He died so that we might have life, fullness of life. That's amazing. The God of the galaxies came to this earth to die for you, to die for you. And the more you live in the reality of that, that's the center of your life, and you think about that and you treasure that each and every day, it transforms your life. It changes the way you do life. And so we take this bread that represents his broken body for us, and we eat this in remembrance of him. Let's eat it together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's just kind of going through some of the, the, the treasure trove, the, the wealth that we have in, in God. And then he says, A people of his own possession, or a special people, a precious people, a treasured people. <laughs> See, through his indispensable and costly death, he shows us how much he treasures us, and then that's what transforms our heart, and then we begin to make him the treasure of our life. And he says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we drink this in remembrance of his shed blood for us and the fullness of life we have in him. Let's drink together. So God, we are overwhelmed by your grace. We have fullness of life through your son. Continue to transform our heart in every area of our life. And in particular, in this area of our finances, may we honor you. May we give glory to you. May we let our light shine before men so that they can see our good deeds and glorify you, our father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? As we conclude our time together, let me give you a blessing. And uh, Next weekend, you don't want to miss next weekend, we're going to talk about worry, about anxiety. How do you deal with worry and anxiety? How do you work through that? Worry is actually kind of gives you a little bit of an indication of what you typically worship, what's most important to you. We worry about those things that are most important to us. So read on in the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we're headed with our study. And so may, may God bless you. May, may you live this next week in the wealth of his presence, in the comfort of of his love, in the strength of his power, and in the security and the significance of being called his child for his glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.